We return to our Bringing Light into Darkness Monday News and Analysis show on Afghanistan with our special guest, Masuda Sultan. This is a very, very dire scenario. So yes, those are the two things that we need to do in the immediate term that I would encourage your listeners to think about. You know, would any country survive without a central bank functioning? You know, would they survive if you couldn't do basic transactions in banking if your country was cut off from the international financial system? And while the Treasury has issued general licenses for some of this activity, unfortunately, on in practice on the ground, it's not it's not working. Very good. And Masuda, just to close out our visit with you, because I, I know you got to run. I promise we'd keep this short. But if people are interested, I was looking at your Unfreeze Afghanistan site to get background information on all of the things that you've touched on today and get a better appraisal. This is a country of what, some 40 million people and so many people in dire, dire straits. And when we talk about these very, very high percentages of people at risk of malnutrition and starvation and, and the winter coming and all of those things, it seems to me that after being in Afghanistan for 20 years and basically having incredible influence on their governments and all of that type of thing, we should have a moral obligation to make reparations as we can for those things that we broke along the way type of thing. And I guess that's really what you're advocating is information around that subject. But if people want more information, can you just in the last minute or so, tell us a little bit about the Unfreeze Afghanistan site and how folks can, can access that? Sure. Unfreeze Afghanistan is an initiative I co-founded with a number of other women activists who have been working in Afghanistan for many, many years. And the point is to was first to pay the teacher salaries that remain unpaid under the previous government, and then to ensure that teacher salaries get paid moving forward so that education could be supported. And of course, getting to the central bank reserves, which I know you're going to talk more about with other experts, unfreezeafghanistan.org is the website, unfreezeafghanistan.org. And there you can read about our activities and our work and our mission. And yeah, some people will say, look, there's a lot of poor countries around the world. Why should we help Afghanistan? Well, we were in that country for 20 years. You know, we bear some responsibility for what happened. And they are very much in dire straits. And, you know, it's not good for our legacy to leave them this way. And it's not in our national interest. It's not in our in our national security interest to to let this country just spiral. So I, I would make the case that it's not only the right thing to do, it's a smart thing to do. I totally concur. We, we, we claim all the time we're out in the world trying to promote democracy and promote well-being and such. And with that, the actions of our foreign policy just go in a completely different direction to my long study of it. And, and this is, like you just said very eloquently, we've been very involved with the direction that Afghanistan has been going in, in the last 20 years. And my heart goes out to the people of Afghanistan. Thank you so much for, for your outstanding work. We'll look forward to staying in touch and getting updates from you. So thank you for bringing light into darkness. Thank you so much for covering this very important issue. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Okay, so that was Masuda Sultan. And we segue now into our last segment of our show tonight with the economic expert, Dr. Mark Weisbrot. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. Today is Thursday, August the 25th, 2022. We have the great pleasure of visiting with a very special guest we'll be introducing very shortly. And this show will be rebroadcast on this Monday, August the 29th, 2022. 
just some background and some framing before we get to our special guest. After a 20-year war, the U.S. has imposed sanctions after the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan last August in 2021. So we're on the one-year anniversary of our withdrawal. Meanwhile, aid groups continue to demand that the Biden administration and European leaders release frozen reserves from Afghans, a central bank indicating that without those funds, Afghanistan faces total collapse. Back in April 2022, the Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned that some 95% of Afghanistan people do not have enough to eat. Nine million people are at risk of famine. UNICEF estimates that a million severely malnourished Afghanistan children are on the verge of death without immediate action. In February of 2022, President Biden's administration blocked $7 billion in frozen assets that Afghanistan Central Bank held in New York, a first step to split the proceeds in a plan where half would go to 9-11 victims and the other half to Afghans that were facing this humanitarian crisis. The executive order, which was signed, required U.S. financial institutions to transfer the funds into an account held at the Federal Reserve Bank. These funds were actually in Afghanistan when Kabul fell in August, and the government left behind some $9 billion in reserves. In several European countries and the United States, with the majority, some $7 billion, of Afghans' frozen assets residing in the United States. The United States war in Afghanistan continues to destroy lives due to this war-induced breakdown of the economy, public health, security, and infrastructure. The other estimates from the cost of war group indicate that Afghans have been massively impoverished by the conflict with 92% of the population facing some level of food insecurity and 3 million at risk of acute malnutrition. Just lastly, this Afghan war, according to the cost of war, as of September of 2021, and over the past 20 years, has taken the lives of some 243,000 people in that Afghan-Pakistan war zone. More than 70,000 were Afghan or Pakistani civilians. And then just finally, the war exasperated the effects of poverty, malnutrition, poor sanitation, lack of health care, and environmental degradation in Afghanistan. Anyhow, with all that being said, I wanted to introduce our very special guest. I wanted to welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness, uh, Dr. Mark Weisbrot. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Pedro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Mark Weisbrot is the co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. He received his Ph.D. in economics from the University of Michigan. He's author of the book, failed what the experts got wrong about the global economy back in 2015. And he is the co-author with Dean Baker of Social Security, The Phony Crisis back in 2000, and writes and continues to write numerous research papers and overviews throughout the country on important economic issues facing countries throughout the world, particularly in the Latin American arena. And his pieces have appeared throughout major media like the New York Times and Washington Post and through other newspapers throughout Latin America. So with that being said, Mark, if you could highlight the significance of, first of all, the legality as well of this executive order that Biden is trying to execute and the impact on Afghanistan. Can you share that with us? Yes. Well, first of all, the confiscation is what it is. 
of Afghanistan's nine billion, seven billion of which were in the U.S., but it's you know U.S. allies took the other two billion. So the, the confiscation of the central bank reserves is the big problem that leaves the country unable to recover. It's already projected to shrink 30 percent since 2020, which is a disaster. And you have inflation over 50 percent and much higher than that for food and and other essential goods. And so you mentioned all the people who are starving and malnutrition. You know, children are hit very hard. They're the hardest and most like and among the most likely to die when this happens, because even when they get enough calories to survive, they are more vulnerable to other diseases when they're malnourished. And so this is really a terrible thing. And a lot of people, you know, just let me explain just briefly. I mean, a central bank is essential to the functioning of the economy, to the stability of the financial system, and to the stability of the currency, and to avoid balance of payments crises. Because when your central bank can't function, when it doesn't have reserves, people take their money out of the country or they won't bring it back in. And so you get all this capital flight, balance of payments crisis. You have trouble getting essential imports, including medicines. And so all kinds of things shut down. Employers can't make payroll. This is what's been happening this past year when the central bank lost just about all of its reserves. Now, that's not the only thing, of course. There are other shocks as well because Afghanistan was getting you know, 75% of its, its government budget before the United States pulled out, came from foreign aid, from U.S. and other allies' aid. And so that was cut off too. But they could have survived that a lot better. They had a functioning central bank. So that's why I'm focusing on that. The other sanctions are also still terrible. I mean, you have sanctions against the government and uh, the Taliban. And so, you know, everybody thinks, oh, that's just targeting the Taliban. But it's really not because uh, banks won't carry out transactions there. And uh, other countries won't put what are called, uh, they won't have their correspondent banks uh, functioning in Afghanistan. And so that cripples the economy as well. You know, basically, the United States just continued the war by other means after they pulled the U.S. military out. And the other means are more destructive, as you you might have mentioned. The human rights groups and aid groups, humanitarian groups, are saying that this could easily kill more people than died in 20 years of war. So everybody's saying that this should be reversed. You know, the Secretary General of the U.N., the human rights experts, the families of the victims of September 11th attacks have also been in the media. And that's important because Biden is saying he's taking half of these reserves that were confiscated, the three and a half, to uh, satisfy uh, possible court uh, judgments against the government. But everybody, this is everybody who's spoken out who's a, from a family of victims. I haven't seen one person say that they support this confiscation, but all the others who have spoken in the media, and you can see them if you look for, have said, no, we don't want to punish the people of Afghanistan again. They didn't choose the Taliban. They didn't choose the September 11th attacks either. 
And so why should all the people be punished? And I think that's the main point is that this is collective punishment. You know, if there were a war actually going on, if the United States was at war and doing this, it would be a war crime under the Geneva Conventions. Article 33 prohibits the collective punishment of the population. So technically, it doesn't fall under the Geneva Convention, but the United Nations and others have written publications that say, look, this is kind of common sense. If, if something is a war crime, when you're shooting at each other and bombing people, then it must be a serious crime when you're not doing that. And it should be. It's just a historical technicality that the Geneva Conventions were focused on crimes against humanity that were committed during war. So they made this a war crime, but it's definitely a horrible crime to do this to the civilian population. I think I want to focus on that a little bit because that is how we can win this. And we are beginning to win, like the United States is facing a lot of pressure. We can get to that. But because it's indefensible, nobody can get up and say these sanctions and the confiscation of reserves are somehow uh, going to do some good, and they're not a, a a crime, okay, a serious, horrible crime. Nobody can get up and say that. They can't say that people aren't starving because of this, because all economists know how the central bank works and how an economy can't function without it, and what happens to people when they need to buy food and they need to get salaries and they need to get medical care when you do this to a country. So that's why it's, it's projected to kill more people than the bombs and bullets and drones did. And so when that becomes known, right now, the United States gets away with things like this because people don't know. They don't realize that this is the same as bombing buildings where people live. Also, they don't even, the Afghan sanctions and the freezing of this money is not even mainstream news. No one even hears about it. Let me ask you this in the limited time that we have with you, because that's very insightful what you just shared. Two things. Number one, you mentioned that the economy was subsidized in, in a very substantial way before the war ended to a tune of some 75%. Can you put into perspective, I mean, this is a war that has cost the U.S. taxpayers $2 trillion. And out of that $2 trillion, some of those monies made it to Afghanistan, I presume, for some of these things that you were indicating. But the absolute lack of accountability, as we've been doing in all of these wars, of where this money goes and you know who gets it, seems to benefit much more our contractors and those types of things. But can you speak a little bit about the $2 trillion investment? And also in your closing comments, the United States would not allow the International Criminal Court to even investigate potential war crimes in Afghanistan. And the United States is not even party to the International Criminal Court. And so back to your point about the legality or the illegality, I mean, my understanding is that sanctioning is only legal if it's endorsed by the UN, which is not the case. These are like unilateral, If and correct me if I'm wrong, sanctions that are being put on Afghanistan since the Taliban came to power by the West. Can you address those two issues? Yes. Well, there is a body of international law that does make this illegal. You're absolutely right. The only sanctions that are considered illegal by the experts in international law it's our sanctions and under the UN uh, charter as well. 
if, if the sanctions are approved by the UN, then there's the, the debate over it, but they're at least uh, potentially legal under international law. But sanctions that are just imposed by governments are considered to be illegal and Ill- illegitimate. I, I mentioned that, you know, I focus on the Geneva Conventions because especially for legislators in Congress and people who are older, they know that this is a foundation this of the post-war period that you don't violate the Geneva Conventions. That's what like Nazis do, okay? <laughs> you know, it's, and so even though they don't directly apply here because there's not a war, it, it just shows how horrible it is to target the civilian population in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the, the money that was spent during the war, there's no doubt that that had positive effects on the economy. And, you know, I mean, the war was still horrible, but the economy grew and uh, there were some benefits to having that kind of, of growth. I mean, there was a massive corruption. I saw an article not long ago, the son of the defense minister under that government that bought all these multi-million dollar houses in California. and. So you know, people were stealing a lot, but it didn't. But some of the the money that didn't go outside the country uh, did have a positive effect on the economy. And so when the U.S. cut off all that aid, that by itself is devastating to the economy. But again, I think they could have stabilized the economy if they didn't confiscate the central bank reserves. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Well, in closing, I just wanted to ask you to speak to what you think is the most important information for the American public to take and understand about the current crisis in Afghanistan. You spoke to that already uh, substantially, but how would you frame this issue? And then also, it just seems that I've read a lot of your work around the same types of tactics where we just take monies from other countries like Venezuela in a unilateral type of way. And just the larger macro picture of what you see in Afghanistan about these monies just being taken, can you also indicate parallel types of activities that I assume are illegal under the very international laws you were alluding to, but but also are occurring in a regular basis in the framework of the United States, what, sanctioning close to, what, one-third of the world's population as we speak? Yes, there's a lot of sanctions. I mean, I think the biggest ones now, because they've reached a point where the U.S. government may reverse their policy, uh, the two uh, biggest. And so I think it's a really good time, by the way, for your listeners to go to their member of Congress. You know, members of Congress will listen. You just get a handful of people and go into their office. And because there's no, you know, there's no big corporations on the other side of this that want to destroy these economies. This is being done for uh, political reasons. And so if you people would go to the members of Congress and say, look, these sanctions are wrong. In fact, you know, here's an example. Jim McGovern, you can go to his Twitter feed. He's the chair uh, of the House Rules Committee, which is one of the most powerful leadership positions in the Democratic leadership. And he wrote a letter to President Biden saying that these sanctions on Venezuela are wrong and they should be stopped. And in the letter, he explains. And it's the first time a, a government. Well, I shouldn't say the first time because you know, Pompeo and those people openly admitted this because they didn't care. But this is the first time somebody who's trying to do the right thing said, look, these sanctions target the civilian population. And 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 that's what they do. That's how they work. You basically undermine support for the government 
by making people suffer. So in Iran and Venezuela, that's the purpose of those things. They're regime change operations, right? They want people to suffer so that the government will become unpopular. And then at, a, at the proper moment, there will be a coup or something to get rid of the government. Mm-hmm. And uh, the United States, of course, has tried that many times, or several times in Venezuela. And Iran, of course, they have the sanctions and they also want to, uh, that's a regime change operation as well. And so I think the Afghanistan isn't actually, I don't think they have any real hopes of overthrowing the Taliban. I think this is done more for political reasons. In other words, Biden got a very bad beating in the media for pulling out of Afghanistan. And so he feels like he has to be tough. And that's just a guess, okay? I I don't claim to know what people are thinking, uh, like the media often does. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm more conservative about that. But I'm just guessing because it isn't, you know, there's no indication that they think they can get rid of this government. So I think it's just a question. And that's why I think we can can win this and we, we can get Congress to go against sanctions like Jim McGovern did and like a number of members of the Progressive Caucus. So that's why I think that this use of sanctions to punish and overthrow governments that the United States doesn't like, this can be stopped. I really believe that. And you can see that now. For example, the U.S. government is still negotiating right now with the Taliban, even though they don't have diplomatic relations. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to arrange something where the reserves, or at least uh, half of them, uh, would be returned. So they feel this pressure. They know that this is destroying the economy of Afghanistan. And, And there are people who don't like that here in Congress and even some in the administration. And so it hasn't become, of course, as big an issue in the public. But again, I emphasize that people can move their members of Congress and the pressure on the administration to stop this crime will definitely increase. And I think it will. they will have to. I totally agree. I think the American people are very good people that have given good information and understand the problem make good moral sound judgments, which you've indicated is what uh, you're hopeful that will will occur. Listen, I know we kept you a little bit longer than we promised. I wanted to just remind folks that we've had the great privilege of getting the analysis by Dr. Mark Weisbrot. He's co-director of the Center for Economic Policy Research. If people are interested in articles or in reports that give the economic status and impact of U.S. policies throughout the world. The Center for Economic Policy Research, I find as a very resourceful place to go. Can you give us your web address for people that are interested in following your work, Mark? Sure. It's CEPR, Center for Economic and Policy Research, CEPR.net. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time and continued work. It's wonderful to have you back on Bringing Light into Darkness. It's been way too long and continue to bring the light. And we appreciate you, brother. Thanks. And we appreciate your work as well. All right. Thank you so much. See you next week. Don't be late. Also, we need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid back grooves, both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week. 
Yeah. 